Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of the Summer Replay series. If you hadn't already heard, I'm taking the month of August off to catch up on some interviews and some editing, as well as to spend some time with my family. So for the three episodes I'll be releasing in August, those will be replays. I'm also testing out a new microphone and I'm not really sure if I love it or not and I haven't put my pop filter on yet. So my P's and my B's might be a little harsh. I apologize for that. Anyhow, you know I love to talk. I want to bring your attention back to this episode with Brittany Morris, who is the author of a book called Slay. Now, this book is young adult and I don't want that to dissuade you from reading it because it's excellent. It's fast paced. It's edge of the seat tension. It's excellent gameplay within the pages of a book. I'm not a gamer and I totally appreciated how she nailed gaming. At least I think she did. So I fully encourage you to check out this book, Slay. You won't be disappointed. I had a great conversation with Brittany. It was one of the earliest episodes in the podcast, so I was still kind of new to the whole process. But what's really amazing is that she wrote this book in, I think it was 12 days, 12 days to write a novel. Insane. It's awesome. Anyhow, I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Thanks for giving me your ears. Like writing is the only thing I've ever done where it doesn't feel like, career-wise, where it doesn't feel like I should be doing something else. Welcome to What Were You Thinking, the podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. There's a point in a writer's process when the pondering of what if becomes the whisper of a new novel. Every writer has that moment, the moment when the page springs to life and becomes a living, breathing entity. In this podcast, I'll chat with some fellow authors, discovering the aha moments, their writing process, and how the world around them impacted what they wrote. This is What Were You Thinking? A podcast about authors and their stories. My guest today is Brittany Morris, author of Slay and the recently released The Cost of Knowing. My jaw hit my desk when I found out Brittany wrote Slay in 12 days on a self-imposed deadline. Slay tells the story of Kira, a 17-year-old who designs and develops an intensely popular computer game for the global black community. Kira keeps her identity a secret, but a tragic event threatens to reveal her identity and may cause her to lose the game she built. In this episode, Brittany shares how she managed to overcome more than 200 rejections for her writing, why she feels pressured to represent her race, and how motherhood has impacted her writing. The irony is not lost on me that today is Pip Mad. Yeah. (laughs) Because I want to talk about how you wrote Slay in 12 days to hit the pit mad deadline. 
Okay, I'm going to jump in right at the very beginning. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, PitMad might sound familiar to you. I talked about it in episode four with Heather Levy, who was also able to find the perfect agents for her novel, Walking Through Needles. It's an insane one-day pitch fest over on Twitter, where authors pitch their novels to potential agents and mentors who will help them get their book published. Yeah, I, I did. It, it was it was wild. I came out of Black Panther the opening night and um, three days went by, I think, where nobody was talking about making like a VR Wakanda so I could go back. And so I began to get really upset about it. And I said, OK, if nobody's talking about making a video game about this movie, I'm going to write about a character who does know how because I have no idea how to program a game. Um and so the idea for Slay was born. And then I looked up when the next big Twitter pitch contest was. And it was in 14 days, I think. So I went, okay, here we go. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So how, so how did you manage to find, I don't know, the time, the strength, the brain space to, to pump out a novel in 12 days? That's a great question. So basically at the time I was working full-time I was working 40 hours a week um, but I did come from a place of immense privilege to be able to do this so my husband was also working at the time Um, I had access to public transportation so I was able to write while I commuted Um, and then also my company had a shuttle so I had like an hour and a half commute each way so that was a solid three hours a day of writing time that I got to use and then I um, uh, what else? Oh, I had access to double monitors at my office. And so I stayed late so that I could edit on two monitors. And then I also just abandoned all sense of self-preservation. I didn't really sleep. I didn't really eat. I was up writing all night. I mean, I don't suggest anybody try this at home. <laughs> it was, I came down with the flu the day after I finished. So I don't recommend it. <laughs> Talk about being in the zone a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, how did it go with Pitman? Is that where you found your agent? Sort of. So, so I, I my pitch got a lot of attention. Um, I queried forty agents out of the one hundred and fifty or so who liked my pitch, um, and then from there I just decided to also query some of my dream agents. Um, and Curisa was definitely on that list. So. Um, added her to the mix and she loved it. She got the book immediately after interviewing all eight agents who fell in love with it. It was very clear who I was going to go with. This is your first, that was your first novel. Yeah. So how many drafts did you have to go through? Um, so I didn't have to do any total rewrites, um, but I did add in uh, a few more scenes. So all of the external POV uh, chapters uh, like Maurice's chapter, John's chapter, those were added in later because we thought it would be a great idea to show the scope of the game and how it touches people from all over the world. And so Claire's chapter was already in, but I decided to add in those other ones too. I've heard mention, or I've heard you mention, that there were 200 rejections. Total rejections, all rounds of querying that I ever did was over 200. It was just over 200. Um, so I started querying 2010. And between 2010 and 2018, there was over 200. So it was was a long journey. (laughs) Holy cow, Brittany. (laughs) So for eight years, you had people say no and 
over and over and over again? How do you pick up and carry on? It definitely went in in phases. So after a querying round where I would get all rejections or all, you know, ignore, they've ignored me for too long that I'm categorizing it as a rejection. I would go through this period of like, oh, is this, you know, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And is this really meant for me? And, you know, all these things, what went wrong? Am I just a bad writer? You know, all of the usual. And then sure enough, it would come around again where I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do if not write, because when I'm not writing, I'm thinking about writing. Like writing is the only thing I've ever done where it doesn't feel like career-wise, where it doesn't feel like I should be doing something else. And so I said, I, I have to keep going. There's, I don't have another option. <laughs> and then the next querying round would begin. So you, you have a degree in economics. Correct. And that was your nine to five job. How did you transition from economics into full, are you full-time writer now? Yeah, I'm full-time. Um, so I, I majored in economics because I, I wanted to be a stockbroker and I thought that major would get me closest to it. Um, which I'm glad that never happened because I don't think that lifestyle is for me. Um, I'm much more of a hippie than I originally thought I was in college, (laughs) but I majored in economics, um, found my way to becoming a business analyst, um, a few months before joining or before, um, getting published actually. Um, but the whole time I was, you know, working corporate jobs and interviewing and uh, majoring in economics, I never stopped writing. I never stopped querying. I never stopped my dream of finally being able to do this one day. And that, my friends, is the lesson in perseverance. When you find what you love to do, you just need to stick with it. It took Brittany eight years to become an overnight success. Are you a gamer? I am very much so. So you had a very good understanding of the nuances of gaming. I'm going to sound like I really know what I'm talking about, but I don't because I'm not a gamer, but I have two (laughs) teenage boys who are gamers, but still I loved getting that insider view into game development. How is that process as from the perspective of not just a writer, but as a gamer, how is that process for you? writing about a teenage character who knows game development yes. when I don't. <laughs> uh, so I, I actually got really into uh, Let's Plays in college, which are just like playthroughs of people playing certain video games. So people would upload their reactions to different games. And through that, I actually took in over three or 4,000 games um, over the course of these years. So um, I've seen lots and lots of gaming content. In all of that video game watching, there was a lot of talk of hitboxes and textures and, you know, errors that people would find in the actual design. And so I learned a lot of terminology just from observing um, gamers who were more familiar with the actual development side and listening to what they were saying. So I knew it could be done. uh, And basically I said, why not a 17-year-old Black girl from Seattle? (laughs) Can we talk about the cards? Absolutely. (laughs) like ah the cards in this game are so I don't want I don't even know what the right word for it is but they taught me a whole lot about things I didn't know anything about I'm so glad people have asked me if Slay is based on Hearthstone and now that I know a little bit more about Hearthstone I didn't at the time I was writing it um I'd say yeah it's it's pretty similar uh it's also loosely inspired by Yu-Gi-Oh okay Here's another aside, and I'm sure if my teenage boys ever listen to this, they're going to roll their eyes because that's what they do whenever I talk about 
games or gaming or anything like that. So Hearthstone and Yu-Gi-Oh are both card-based strategy games. I'm not even going to pretend I understand how it works. And this is coming from a mom whose two boys were really, really into Pokemon cards and Bakugan cards, neither of which I could figure out how to play. But all I know about these two card games is you engage in battle and there's strategy involved. That's as far as I can take you. With the cards, the idea for the cards first came about when I was first um, outlining, actually. I spent one day outlining and then the rest, the other 11 days were just writing. I really, I knew I wanted to put a duel in there in the book because in Black Panther, like the duel scene was my, like my favorite scene. Just seeing that amalgamation of so many different Pan-African cultures was just amazing. So did I go down the rabbit hole of Black Panther footage on YouTube? Heck yeah, you bet I did. I absolutely loved this movie the first time, the second time, and the third time that I watched it. So I knew exactly what duel she was talking about. But, you know, research makes me better. So my husband was completely understanding when I said I had to review some footage from Black Panther to watch the duel all over again. It's a great movie. You should see it. So I knew I wanted dueling to be a factor. Dueling with cards just seemed to make sense. It was the first thing I thought of. But then it made so much more sense when I thought about Black culture as a deck of cards because there can be thousands and thousands and thousands of them and it, it, would, it could constantly be building on itself, infinitely expanding, right? For everybody who is Black or African or Dominican or however you identify, if your heritage is Pan-African, there is space for you in the deck. Even if you can't relate to every single card available, at least one of them will represent you um, because the deck is big enough for all of us. Did you learn anything about Black culture that you didn't know? Um, I did. So there were quite a few West African dishes that I learned about because um, I, wanted, I wanted to incorporate more food elements. Um, I also looked up like the history of mumbo sauce and where it came from in D.C., there were uh, different hairstyles that were mentioned in the book that I actually wasn't familiar with. So that was quite cool. Things like mercy lip plates. And there's a certain type of hair clay. I believe it's used in Cameroon. Um, and that's mentioned. There were a whole lot of like cards that are part of Black culture, but aren't necessarily part of my personal upbringing. So it was really, really cool to just include all of that. Right. And it was it was a weird experience, too, because I kind of went through what Kira went through writing this book when she designed all of the cards and put them all in. I had this I had several moments of, you know, what am I doing writing about a, an all black video game that's about like blackness as a whole? Like I'm just one person. Not like a lot of this is not part of my upbringing. What gives me, you know, the audacity to think I could write about all of this and in a way that represents my entire race well and, you know, just feeling super overwhelmed and pretty inadequate and like, like I was stepping outside of a boundary, but I said, you know what, I'm passionate about this book. I really think it needs to exist. And why not me? And as a black woman too, like it wasn't, it's not lost on me that Kira is in a industry that is primarily male dominated and everybody everybody assumed that the developer of slay was male do you think this is changing i hope so (laughs) i've worked with so many people in the gaming industry that are female and that are of other genders besides the binary 
I think the number of women in gaming is definitely increasing and the number of people who identify as uh, non-binary and trans are, is increasing. The assumption, I believe, is still that the developer is male. So we've got a long way to go, but I have worked with a lot of incredible people in gaming who are receptive to the, the changing demographic. What part of Slay was the most challenging to write? There was a part in Slay that made me quite angry. And there's a scene where Steph talks to Wyatt and Harper about Black representation in gaming and why we have a long way to go. Playing as a Black character, like the character design pages are often not designed by Black people. And so you get all of these weird looking hairstyles that don't look right and skin tones that don't reflect well in the environment. And But we're often portrayed as you know, gang members and murderers and ill-treated sex workers and just all of these different positions that maybe don't reflect the entire Black experience. Do you think a game like Slay could exist in reality? I definitely think it could exist. Um, I don't think, just like in the book, I, I it can never maintain total exclusivity, right? There will always be some way to get passcodes and there will always be some, you know, Black people we- handing out passcodes and maybe even selling them. And um, so I don't think it would even be worth it to try to maintain that kind of exclusivity, but I think it would be worthwhile to ask people why they need to play it. People have asked me, if Slay were a real video game, would you bar white people from playing it? And my answer is you can't, but I'd make it very, very clear that they need to be asking themselves why specifically they need this game and what they're doing to the environment in this game and the reason why it needs to exist in the first place. So I'm going to be asking them some hard-hitting questions, but I can't (laughs) kick them out. Uh, What scene are you most proud of? Any of the dueling scenes. Um, I think my writing really shines when I'm writing action. (laughs) It's also the most, thank you. It's also the most fun for me. Um, And then I also got to just showcase different parts of Black culture. And that was really a lot of fun. Uh, What do you love about being a writer? I mean, I love talking to readers. Um, I really, really do. And I love answering questions from readers and getting their perspectives on things. Um, I also love when readers discover hidden gems uh, in my books. And I'm like, oh, yay, somebody found that. And then finally, just the writing process just... I, I mean, I wake up in the morning and I go to the coffee shop and I open my laptop and I start typing and I feel alive. Um, and I feel like there is a reason for my existence and th- there's a purpose for me being here. The sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. It's a blank canvas. And every single word that you choose kind of changes the, the color of the sentence that you're working with. And I just love having that kind of unlimited freedom. Well, you certainly, you captured the essence of being a writer. Like when you open up your laptop and you just, the words just fly and you're on fire. That's, that's true of any profession you just, you decide to pursue. You know, it's the right fit when you just can't wait to get into it. Yeah. What don't you like about being a writer? Editing is tricky. Um, (laughs) I, you know, there's the, the moment during drafting where you first get to walk out into a forest with buckets of paint and throw whatever you want against whatever you want. And then the editor walks you back to that patch of the forest and goes, okay, so here's how we're going to clean this up. (laughs) And it's not my favorite part, but over the years I've learned to, I've learned to appreciate it quite a bit more. What do you hope readers take away from Slay? Be who you want to be. 
and don't be afraid to keep discovering who you are, it doesn't really stop. I, I feel like not enough adults tell young people that self-discovery is a lifelong journey. <laughs> and, you know, however you identify in whatever capacity, don't let other people tell you what you can and can't be and who you can and can't be with however you identify. Have you ever abandoned a project? I have shelved a couple of projects, specifically the projects before that I was querying with. I look back on those projects and I'm so, so glad they never went anywhere because a few of them I had no business writing. They were not my experience in life. And I was just so ignorant of the experiences that I was writing about. And I think they would have done some damage if they had gone anywhere. There are also books that I just was not equipped to write just skill-wise. So you just had a baby in November, correct? I did. Yes. Yes. Is that your first? Yes. And how is, and it's a, a boy. Yes. Yes. My okay. son Atlas. Oh, what a great name. How Thank has you. this, how has motherhood impacted your writing? Oh boy. Um, I think there was a big turning point while I was editing the cost of knowing because while I was editing, well, you know, the writing and editing process for the cost of knowing I found out I was pregnant. I found out I was having a boy and then right after I finished the last round of editing The Cost of Knowing, he was born. Um, and so here I am writing about these two black boys who are sandwiched between anxiety about the future and regrets about the past and trying to figure out how to be mindful in the present and a joyful black boy in the present and just they go through so much in the book that I don't know I could have written about now that my son is here. I don't know if I would have had it in me. It's such an intense read and it was such an emotional tax writing it that, yeah, I, that's, <laughs> I'm glad I wrote the book when I did. And then everything clicked into place when I realized one day that as a black person, I already feel like I live sandwiched between constantly being pulled into thinking about the future and constantly being pulled into thinking about the past. Um, I suffer from d anxiety and depression myself. And so I wanted to talk about um, specifically black men and their mental health, but also just mental health in the black community in general. And so between all of those different factors, I said, okay, I can write 60,000 words to talk about this. Tell me something not a lot of people know about you. Ooh, that's a surprise question. Hmm, let me think. I don't know if many people know this about me. I, while I was, I used to live in Seattle. And while I was there, um, my husband and I went without a car for five years, completely by choice. We went without a car to pay off our student loans and just biked everywhere. Um, and it was like one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. I might go back to that, honestly, once, once my once my baby is grown enough. Um, it was a lot of fun. Even in the rainy winter? Even in the rainy winter, yeah. You just throw on a light jacket and you're good to go. That's dedication. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I loved Slay. Congratulations on the success of Slay. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me on this episode of What Were You Thinking? You can get Slay wherever books are sold, and you can learn more about Brittany by visiting her website, authorbrittanymorris.com. I'll post links in the show notes. To listen to more episodes or to have a peek at my own books, visit my website, danagoldstein.ca.